welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynne Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for yourselves and everyone else all over the world. If not, let us first start with ourselves, acknowledging and showing love to the mighty I Am Presence within us, and then radiating that loving energy throughout all the atmosphere, saturating the whole of Earth and beyond the stratosphere. Not a limiting kind of love, y'all, designated only for worldly things and pleasures, but a love that permeates the entire universe and all the dimensions surrounding us, because that is the loving energy of our divine creator. That is the loving energy within every individual. And that loving energy is the salvation of all humanity. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life. And y'all be loved. It is quite natural that some of John's adherents should have attached themselves to Jesus on his public appearance as a proclaimer before the martyrdom of their own imprisoned prophet. The suddenness with which, Mark, our earliest narrative, introduces Jesus calling the first four of his disciples and their instant leaving all and following him to become fishers of men, is inexplicable without there having been some prior knowledge of the way on the part of Simon and Andrew, James and John. They may well have already been familiar with John's teaching. Indeed, the writer of the fourth gospel tells us categorically, John 1.40, that Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter Cephas, had been a disciple of the baptizer. But if some of John's actual disciples followed Jesus before any question of messiahship arose, it is probable that far more of his lay adherents also did so. Indeed, the earliest history of the expansion of Christianity, that is of the Jesus Messianic movement, preserves traces that in some places there was a considerable Johannine influence, notably the continued use of John's baptism. On the contrary, most of John's disciples to all seeming refused to recognize the Jesus Messianic claims, and the echoes of history preserved in the Mandean traditions declare that they most emphatically rejected them. In any case it may well be that some of the great figures, types, and symbols used by Jesus in his exhortations and teachings were not original to him, but that he shared them, together with other mystic, apocalyptic and prophetical notions, with circles that had been instructed by John. Jesus is made to distinguish John as the greatest prophet who had come before him, nay is more than a prophet, and yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is said to be greater than a John. This can only mean in the kingdom in its fullness, for surely most of the Christians fell far short of the high virtue of the Baptist. What is furthermore exceedingly probable, if not unquestionably evident, is that the whole of John's mentality was flooded with what we can only call mystic notions and conceits, graphic figures, highly spiritualized, the mentality of a prophet and seer. 
If John is the forerunner of Jesus, many of the baptizer's eschatological and associated beliefs are probably the forerunners of earliest Christian general doctrine. And with all this in mind, it is difficult not to believe that Jesus not only knew more of John personally and what lay at the back of him, but used more of his ideas and symbolisms than the Gospels would lead us to suppose. Though the synoptics in some passages are at pains to let it appear as if John recognized the messiahship of Jesus, and the later and correcting fourth gospel emphatically affirms that he did so from the baptism onwards, there was evidently very considerable doubt on the question in the earliest tradition. Matthew 11:3 and Luke 7:19 lets the reader see that John, to the end, had no conviction, much less prior spiritual apperception on the subject. For it tells us that just before his end, the imprisoned prophet sent messengers to Jesus asking him in complete uncertainty, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? To this unambiguous question no direct answer is given. John's disciple messengers are bidden simply to report to their master the wonderful healings of which they have been told or which they have witnessed. The proof of messiahship is made here to rest solely on wonder doings, any prior spiritual recognition by John of Jesus, as the expected one is unknown to this tradition, nor is it able to report that John accepted the wonders as proof of a fulfillment of his expectation. From this we may reasonably feel assured that, though some of John's disciples followed Jesus when he began his public ministry after John had been put in prison and continued the proclamation of the near coming of the kingdom, the majority refrained. They continued in their own way and discipline, nor did they subsequently recognize the messiahship of Jesus, for above all, they had no authority from their master to do so. This is a negative inference, but the positive rejection of the Christian messianic claim is brought out with sharp polemical emphasis in the Mandean tradition, which claims to derive from John and regards Jesus, as the deceiver messiah. The baptism of Jesus by John is acknowledged but explained in polemic mystic fashion. There are however signs that, apart from the subsequent bitterness of outer theological controversy, there was originally an inner deeper Gnostic ground of division, for Jesus is not represented as unknowing, but on the contrary, is made to answer certain test questions of John with profound moral insight. But the most surprising fact of Mandean tradition is that it preserves no indications of having entertained any belief in distinctive Jewish messianism at all. Its soteriology is peculiar to itself, and the tradition repudiates Jewish prophecy and apocalyptic and in fact the whole Torah, as emphatically as it does Christian doctrine. Nevertheless, on its own showing, in the beginning the particular community of which John was so great a prophet, is depicted as settled in Judea, even in Jerusalem, and is claimed to have had a profound knowledge of the inner meaning of the law. It is made to look back to a still more ancient tradition which is claimed to be purer and wiser than that of the Hebrews. Though the legendary historical side of the question is exceedingly obscure, our best authorities are agreed that, as far as the mythic element is concerned, the Mandean tradition preserves many traces of the earliest forms of the pre-Christian Gnosis known to us. The problem is thus exceedingly complex. Gnostic John the Baptizer, Selections from the Mandean John Book, by G.R.S. Mead, 1924. Grievances against Jesus are stated by the learned author of Tela Ignea Satane, The Fiery Darts of Satan, to be two in number, first, that he had discovered the great mysteries of their temple, 
by having been initiated in Egypt, and second, that he had profaned them by exposing them to the vulgar, who misunderstood and disfigured them. This is what they say. There exists, in the sanctuary of the living God, a cubical stone, on which are sculptured the holy characters, the combination of which gives the explanation of the attributes and powers of the incommunicable name. This explanation is the secret key of all the occult sciences and forces in nature. It is what the Hebrews call the Shama Ampharas. This stone is watched by two lions of gold, who roar as soon as it is approached. The gates of the temple were never lost sight of, and the door of the sanctuary opened but once a year, to admit the high priest alone. But Jesus, who had learned in Egypt the great secrets at the initiation, forged for himself invisible keys, and thus was enabled to penetrate into the sanctuary unseen, he copied the characters on the cubicle stone, and hid them in his thigh, after which, emerging from the temple, he went abroad and began astounding people with his miracles. The dead were raised at his command, the lepers and the obsessed were healed. He forced the stones which lay buried for ages at the bottom of the sea to rise to the surface until they formed a mountain, from the top of which he preached. The Sefer Toldo states further that, unable to displace the cubical stone of the sanctuary, Jesus fabricated one of clay, which he showed to the nations and passed it off for the true cubical stone of Israel. This allegory, like the rest of them in such books, is written inside and outside, it has its secret meaning, and ought to be read two ways. The Kabbalistic book explains its mystical meaning. Further, the same Talmudus says, in substance, the following, Jesus was thrown in prison, and kept there forty days, then flogged as a seditious rebel, then stoned as a blasphemer in a place called Lude, and finally allowed to expire upon a cross. All this, explains Levi, because he revealed to the people the truths which they, the Pharisees, wished to bury for their own use. He had divined the occult theology of Israel, had compared it with the wisdom of Egypt, and found thereby the reason for a universal religious synthesis. H.P. Blavatsky However cautious one ought to be in accepting anything about Jesus from Jewish sources, it must be confessed that in some things they seem to be more correct in their statements, whenever their direct interest in stating facts is not concerned, than our good but two jealous fathers. One thing is certain James, the brother of the Lord, is silent about the resurrection. He terms Jesus nowhere son of God, nor even Christ God. Once only, speaking of Jesus, he calls him the Lord of glory, but so do the Nazarenes when writing about their prophet Iohanan bar Zechariah or John, son of Zacharias, Saint John the Baptist. Their favorite expressions about their prophet are the same as those used by James when speaking of Jesus. A man of the seed of man, messenger of life, of light, my lord apostle, king sprung of light, and so on. Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, etc., says James in his epistle, 2 to 1, presumably addressing Christ as God. Peace to thee, my lord, John Abo Sabo, lord of glory, says the Codex Nazareus, 2.19, known to address but a prophet. Ye have condemned and killed the just, says James, verse 6. Ioan and John, is the just one, he comes in the way of justice, says Matthew, 21.32, Syriac text. James does not even call Jesus Messiah in the sense given to the title by the Christians, but alludes to the Kabbalistic King Messiah, who is Lord of Sabaoth, verse 4, and repeats several times that the Lord will come but identifies the latter nowhere with Jesus. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord, be patient, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh, verse 7, 8. 
And he adds, Take, my brethren, the prophet Jesus, who is spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Though in the present version the word prophet stands in the plural, yet this is a deliberate falsification of the original, the purpose of which is too evident. James, immediately after having cited the prophets as an example, adds, Behold, ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, thus combining the examples of these two admirable characters, and placing them on a perfect equality. But we have more to adduce in support of our argument. Did not Jesus himself glorify the prophet of the Jordan? What went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, verily, I say unto you, among them that are born of women there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. And whom was he who spoke thus born? It is but the Roman Catholics who have changed Mary, the mother of Jesus, into a goddess. In the eyes of all other Christians, she was a woman, whether his own birth was immaculate or otherwise. According to strict logic, then, Jesus confessed John greater than himself. Note how completely this matter is disposed of by the language employed by the angel Gabriel when addressing Mary, Blessed art thou among women. These words are unequivocal. He does not adore her as the mother of God, nor does he call her goddess, he does not even address her as virgin, but he calls her woman, and only distinguishes her above other women as having had better fortune, through her purity. H. P. Blavatsky Blessed ones, you are not without help. The great cosmic law is opening one channel after another to bring unlimited activities of the sacred fire into the physical octave, to do what mankind cannot do for itself. And so, this must come. The cosmic law demands it, and the evil mankind has generated must be consumed, one way or the other. And the more that is consumed this way, the less the physical disturbance will be. So I hope tonight that you realize the opportunity that you have to forbid what the hordes of evil intend against this nation, to forbid the generation of any more destruction. And as you make the call, ask the legions, the limitless legions of the angels of the flaming sword, to move into the physical conditions of mankind's daily life, and forbid evil in manifestation. Try me out. I ask you to call the angelic host to come into these conditions and forbid the existence any longer of the beast of desecration. I have been portrayed with a sword of blue flame down through the ages. And there are countless legions of the angels of the flaming sword, the angels of blue lightning, and as certainly as they are called into the physical conditions to annihilate that which otherwise will annihilate constructive activities, there isn't one call that would be either delayed or refused to be answered. There isn't one call that wouldn't be answered, and as quickly as possible. So beloved ones, if you set to work with this, will set to work with the swords of blue flame from the ascended master's octave. And just as certainly as you exist, will you see the fulfillment of your calls in ways and means that you are not even connected with. So, I assure you, it is the part of wisdom. It's the master control of the conditions that mankind has generated. It's the open door to freedom. And it's the only safety there is, to blaze throughout the nation tonight that which will help everything constructive, and will lease the desecration intended. And we want you to make the call as soon as possible, because every hour counts. And that's exactly why we're here. It's exactly why we have brought the activity of the angelic host to your attention. 
It is why we are asking for your calls, because the cosmic law demands that those who are unascended must draw, into the conditions of which they have been a part, the cosmic law's sacred fire of immortal purity, and the authority of the angelic host over mankind, and over mankind's creation. Beloved Archangel Michael, Beloved ones, when the authority of the outer activities of mankind in the human law of your land have, when that outer world human authority has sought to desecrate everything because of its viciousness, then I say to you, use our authority of the angels of the flaming sword. When you say to your beloved I am presence and to us, blaze the immortal sacred fire authority of the angels of blue lightning purity, into the brain and body of every human being within these borders that wants to do wrong, and you send forth the decree, and you will see manifestations take place that reveal to you the fulfillment of your call. And you yourselves, will not be connected in any way with the destructive activities that the hordes of evil wish to impose upon your homes and the decent people within your land. Use our authority of the angels of the flaming sword. Use the ascended master's authority of cosmic Christ blue lightning purity. Use the ascended master's will of the cosmic law's command for evil to cease to be, and release whatever power from the angelic host is necessary into physical conditions that force the hordes of evil to either be taken off the earth, or consumed. And in any event, you, personally will not be connected with them. So I do bring you an infallible source of protection. And we have protected mankind down through the ages, uncountable times, by the use of the sacred fire of which most human beings know nothing. So the sacred fire is still in the universe. We are in the universe. The cosmic law is master. The need is now, and your nation must be saved by the call of those who are constructive within its borders. Beloved Archangel Michael, Blessed ones, from tonight I hope you call the unlimited legions of the sword of the blue flame, the unlimited power of the cosmic Christ blue lightning purity, the unlimited presence of the sacred fire that can sweep over the nation and compel evil to be driven back into its own cause, and forced into annihilation by the sacred fire that is forever its master. So from tonight, we will await your call. And I hope with every atom of my being you will send every call you can possibly make to draw into the physical lower atmosphere of Earth, into the physical structure of Earth itself, the angelic host's great central sun's cosmic Christ blue lightning purity, the violet consuming flame's mercy and love that sets all life and substance and energy free from the filth imposed upon them by the hordes of the shadows. From tonight your power can be unlimited. And I have a feeling within me, you won't have to be coaxed to use it. Applause. Thank you so much. We have depended upon you before, and you have not been found wanting. We are going to depend on you now, and you will not want for any good thing if you will use this decree to handle the conditions within your nation that are indescribable, and I will not even put them into your consciousness by a description. The need is very great. The power is unlimited. The opportunity is yours, and victory is assured as you join with us and reveal the mastery of life over the conditions that have sought to desecrate anything and everything that is decent. So, from tonight, please remember, we are your friends for eternity. We are all authority. Your nation needs your call, and there isn't one in this room who will make the call that can't be answered almost instantly, in even outer physical conditions, as you remember we are near. We are masters by the use of the sacred fire, we are waiting an opportunity to use this power in the physical octave, and we must protect that which is constructive within your borders. So, call our legions of cosmic Christ immortal protection in and around all that is constructive, and your willingness to protect everything else constructive within your land, 
automatically draws to you the same protection by the sacred fire from your presence, from us, and from the great central sun. And the limitless legions of the angels of the sacred fire have power the world needs to see in action, and must face and obey. And from this hour, with your assistance and your calls, so shall it be manifested in the physical octave until we have rendered our service, and the purification takes place that does bring freedom, and peace to the earth, for eternity. Thank you with all my heart. Beloved Archangel Michael, 